0: good day to you friends and uh, thank you so much for being part of another one of our online bible studies we are heading to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 today as we finish this five-week series looking at the first letter um, that Paul and Silas wrote to the church in Thessalonica and we have got now to chapter 5 so if you want to turn in your bible we're going to look at this there's quite a long passage today it's 28 verses so we'll have to probably skim through various parts um, but just trust that as we read through it that God will call to mind the things that we need to wrestle with and um, yeah that we would also just spend a bit of extra time ourselves in doing some further reading so we just ask in a prayer for God to be with us. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us always and even as we gather in various places at different times to look at the scriptures, we pray that they would speak into our lives. Um, We believe that your spirit is living and active and that you desire us to know your will and your plan. And so we commit ourselves to you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's just dive straight away into it. And some of the things that are written in chapter 5 are kind of re-emphasized or repeated from some of the other chapters. So we'll just make mention of that. And then some of them are kind of new ideas from Paul. So verse 5, he says, sorry, chapter 5, I really don't need to write to you about how and when all this will happen, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Okay, so I think we understand really what he is saying here. Um, we've discussed this in the previous chapters. Just want to zoom in quickly on that phrase, the day of the Lord. So, so in Jewish tradition, there were kind of three ages um, that, were, that were known or, or presumed to be in existence. The first one is what we would call the present age which is what we're living in now. And then there would be the age to come, which is always seen as the golden age. I suppose we would use the phrase um, that is the the eternal life. And then there was this age that was in the middle of this, that separated the present age from the age to come. And that was always referred to as the day of the Lord. And it was um, known to be, you know, that, that that day would be, almost like it would be the day of judgment. And so when you see here in verse 2 that Paul is saying that we don't know when the day of the Lord will come, it will come unexpectedly, this is what he's referring to. And this day of the Lord, the day of judgment, will separate the present age from the age to come. So that's just a bit of a reminder of that. The million-dollar question is always, well, when would that be? Um, and many people have tried to predict when it would be unsuccessfully. So what Paul says in verse 3 is equally important. He says, when people are saying, all is well, everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a woman's birth pains begin when her child is about to be born and there will be no escape. So he just uses a very... Um, Yeah, a very practical illustration, a very vivid illustration of how a woman who is pregnant doesn't know the exact date when the baby is going to be born. Now, particularly in the context of this time, there were no elective uh, Caesars, cesarean sections. This was all just purely natural birth and a woman would um, obviously know that she's pregnant, but she would not know when the day the baby was going to come. So Paul uses that as a very vivid picture to say, we we know that the day is going to come, just like a woman who is pregnant. We don't know exactly when the time will be, but we must be prepared. We can't be caught by surprise and suddenly say, oh, um, you know, my waters are broken. Uh, I think I'm having a baby, you know, because that would be very, very silly. We, we can see our bodies changing, to use the illustration, we know that a child is going to be coming, and so there's no escaping that the child will come. So this is his illustration to say the end will come, the day of the Lord will come, let's be prepared for that. Verse 4, but you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. Okay, So again, an image that Jesus uses, Um, the thief that comes in the nighttime doesn't announce that he's going to come because if he announced, everybody would be ready. Everybody would bar their doors, put their alarm systems on, have their dogs ready, and they'll be waiting for the thief to come. And the thief would obviously not come. Um, he would be chased away. So again, it's a vivid image that the people understood in their time. We understand it even in our time. And it's just to re-emphasize the point that, that we don't know. And um, when you read around the commentaries around this, the day of the Lord or the end times, we we find that a number of, of the commentators actually speak about how, um, as human beings, we, we border on becoming a little bit arrogant Blasphemous or even proud when we think that we know the date and the time. If Jesus Himself says that He doesn't know when it will be, but only the Father knows, why would God then give this uh, revelation and uh, whatever divine insight to to certain people? Um, you know, if I, again, if I was here saying to you today on this Bible study, look, I know that the end times are going to happen on this and this day at this time. Some people may believe me and be drawn into that, but most people should actually be reflecting and saying, well, Delm, that's a bit arrogant. Why would God have told you that when he wouldn't even tell his own son in the day and time? Um, and so that's just something else to chew on as you think about, about this. Friends, Jesus even told us, you know, don't listen to those people that are saying, okay, it's going to happen now, it's going to happen now. We must just obviously take note of the signs. Um, We must see what's happening around us. And the most important thing for us is just to be ready to make our peace with the Lord, to be right with God, and to live our lives in that expectation. So, So that's just my five cents on that. Verse 5, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. Uh, compare it, um, comparing day and night, light and darkness, it's very clear. Verse 6: So be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and be sober. Night is the time for sleep and the time when people get drunk. But let us who live in the light think clearly, protected by the body armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation so the word picture that is presented here from paul is that as people who follow the light who live in the light we should um, then be sort of aware stay alert be sober he says which is um, in another version says be clear-headed in the way we think and it's a massive generalization, but he says in the daytime, people are a lot more alert, a lot more awake, a lot more clear-headed. But at nighttime, people are wanting to sleep, and that's also the time when people get up to all kinds of mischief. He says to the church, let us live in the light um, as we are in the light, and let's be sober-minded. Let's be clear-headed um, in the way we think about these things. And then we see Paul introducing some very well-known images that become part of um, his armor of God passage in Ephesians, which is happens later on in terms of a time timeline. Uh, so you can go back and read that in, in Ephesians. But um, he says here that we can Um, think clearly, we can be alert and awake when we are protected by the armor of faith and love and we wear as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Now again another version speaks about the hope of our salvation to come and and if you spend some time just looking at verse 8 for for some connections here, one you would see the armor of God the armor of faith very clearly there. Um, And the other things that you would recognize as big things that Paul loved to speak about are the themes of faith, love, and then hope or confidence. And um, as you know, Paul used that. We mentioned in our Bible study last night that 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, um, in that chapter on love, he Says Paul says now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now that was written for a particular purpose, and we won't go into that now. But uh, I'm I'm emphasising the fact that those three key things faith, hope, and love were what Paul was was saying to the church. Hold on to these three things; they will get you through um, as as Christ followers. Verse nine: For God decided to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out His anger on us. He died for us so that we can live with Him forever, whether we are dead or alive at the time of His return. So the message of salvation comes in verse nine, saying that Christ is the one who who died for us, um, and so that that we we can know that God is for us. He's not going to pour his anger on us, but rather he'll pour his love on us, which he's done through Jesus. Then um, verse 10 is a connection with what we were saying last week, where because the, the church at this time, um, we're talking 20 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven, because many people were living with the expectation that Christ was coming, you know, Imminently, today, tomorrow, next week. As that kind of um, went on, as time went on, and people started to die of natural causes of old age and and other illnesses, so there was this confusion and a bit of a worry in the church. Um, You know, what was that going to mean now? Um, Because we all imagined that we would still be alive and Jesus would return almost like the disciples in the upper room experiences where they were alive and fully awake and then Jesus returned and Jesus came and appeared to them. I guess that's what the the church was imagining was going to take place. But now it wasn't. Some had now died and had been buried in the faith and others were still alive. So Paul adds this in here to say, because Christ died for us so that we can live with him forever whether we are dead or alive at the time of his return. And I encourage you to go back and to listen to chapter 4, to read chapter 4, to see what he was saying there about the hope of resurrection. And then he says, verse 11, so encourage each other and build each other just as you are already doing. So that would be, I guess, a general encouragement, building each other up in the body of Christ, praying for each other, uh, words of affirmation, but the word encourage means to give courage to others, um, and so when you encourage somebody, you you give them courage for their lives and for their faith and so on. Then we come to verse twelve, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and warn you against all that is wrong. Think highly of them and give them your wholehearted love because of their work and remember to live peaceably with each other. Um, My my take on this would be that because Paul and Silas realized they may not return uh, to to take on a leadership role in the church, and and maybe Timothy also wasn't able to do that, he was giving a passing on authority to those who were going to be the leaders and stewards of that community, um, just saying to the church, look, um, you know, respect your leaders. They're working hard among you. Um, you know, follow them as they follow Christ. And and then by throwing in there and live peacefully with each other. Because in the church, we are not immune from all kinds of conflicts and disunity. And And one of the ways I think that disunity can creep into a community is when there is a question over leadership, Or or people with different opinions, you may have had, uh, and this certainly was the case in the early church, Um, we think back to Iodia and Syntyche, who clearly had different opinions on things and were causing a division in the early church. Maybe this is Paul's way of just saying to the church, look, um, remember to to seek peace in this. Uh, As a church, you will not be able to thrive and move forward if you're going to be fighting over leadership um, and disagreeing on a lot of things. Um, And I think we would understand that. We probably have all been part of teams in maybe work or other situations where we've seen division and how harmful it, it can be. Verse 14, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy Now, that word lazy is also the word idle, and this refers to those who were choosing to sit around and basically say, what's the point in working because Jesus is coming back very soon. So this is his way of saying to them, listen, warn those who are sitting around to say, listen, that's not what God wants from us. Yes, be prepared for the end. Be prepared for him to come back, but rather be found in working for the Lord or or in whatever you're doing, honoring God with that, than sitting around just being a trouble causer and and causing uh, disruption in the community. He carries on, encourage those who are timid, and that can also be faint-hearted. And that's a lovely uh, thought also, is that he's saying to those in the church who are perhaps feeling a little bit stronger, encourage those who are faint-hearted. You know, draw alongside them. Then he says, take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Um, I, ca- I came across in one of the commentaries this idea of where it says, take tender care of those who are weak. Um, it's, it's more relating to how you would cling to a life raft. Um, and the idea behind that is that sometimes we think that the weak are the ones to be discarded. You know, um, that's not just physically weak, but spiritually, emotionally weak. Those who can't fend for themselves, we think, oh, well, in order to be successful or, you know, to, to move forward, we need to cut off those parts that are weaker. And Paul is saying, no, 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 cling to those, take care of them, draw them in, be patient with everybody. Um, and that's how you will move forward as, as a church. Don't just discard those. Who at the moment are are struggling. Verse 15, see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to everyone else. Jesus spoke about not taking out our revenge on others. He also challenged us to love um, our enemies, you know, also love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And, um, We could see Paul's logic in this is to say, you know, as soon as one starts to be revengeful, pay back evil for evil, so there's a vicious cycle that takes place. Um, Maybe there's something else also happening in the community we don't know much about, um, but Paul does offer us that advice. Then he says, verse 16, always be joyful, never stop praying, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So these three thoughts um, are (laughs) they are wonderful in that they are succinct and they are short and they are powerful, but they are also (laughs) incredibly challenging. I mean, just those three words always be joyful. I mean, how how practical is that? I mean, have you found in your life that you're always able to be joyful? Uh, I mean, is that even doable? Or is Paul just saying, look, find the joy in life? Um, joy obviously is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Um, so seek joy despite your circumstances. Um, yeah, I find that incredibly hard. I mean, I hear what he's saying, but it's incredibly hard. Then he says, verse 17, keep on praying or never stop praying. Um, And we assume here he's not talking about being in the synagogue or the church, praying the whole time, being on your knees, because then you wouldn't get anything else done. You wouldn't be able to work. You wouldn't be able to eat. You wouldn't be able to fetch and carry your children. Um, None of those things would actually happen if you were just on your knees praying. So we assume that what he's talking about is to have this prayerful attitude all the time, whether you're going about your work, whether you're going about your daily chores, it's to have the attitude of prayer and knowing that we can commune with God at all times. Verse 18, um, I'm going to read it from a different version here, which says, no matter what happens, always be thankful. Sure. Um, I think that is also something that we hear what it says, but that's not ever, not always easy. Um, maybe we, in time, can see the bigger picture. But Paul is urging us to say, "Well, you know, God is in all things, even when there are difficult circumstances. So, so seek to be thankful. Seek to have a heart of gratitude in all these things." I am um, just going to be honest and say I find that tough. Um, I can't delete it from the Bible, <laughs> um, but I'm just leaving it there for us to say these are Paul's final words of advice to the church. Um, and, and maybe he's just offering a different take on, on things. Verse 19, um, another challenging one. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit or do not quench the Holy Spirit. He then adds on in verse 20, do not scoff um, at prophecies, but test everything that is said. And and I think these two would go together. So in our Bible study group last night, we we chatted a bit about this. What does it mean to quench the Holy Spirit or to stifle the Holy Spirit? And and here Paul is speaking about prophecy particularly. Um, Perhaps the... The, the, the visual picture would be, imagine a fire, and as the fire is is starting to burn and, and getting bigger and bigger, we can do one of two things. Either we can add more fuel to the fire so that it burns brighter and hotter, or we can quench the fire. We can put water on the fire so that we douse it and then it eventually goes out. And perhaps what Paul is saying to the church here is, when the Spirit of God is moving in your community, um, it's, the Spirit is there to, to bring life. Um, it's even compared with a fire as well as the wind and a dove and so on, but it's there to bring life. It's The Spirit of God is the pointing us to the person of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's work is to bring life to comfort to convict to God you know there's a, a lot of things that we've already seen from Jesus in the gospels where he speaks about the work of the Holy Spirit and so this would be an advice to the churches to say yes you must test these things so if somebody stands up in the midst and gives a word of prophecy or gives a word of encouragement or preaches something test that um, but don't just immediately say no 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 that's not of God and um, yes, we, we sadly see that this has been abused where people have got up and said, you know, the Lord has said or the Spirit has said um, and it has ended up not being of God. Um, but we need to be able to have the ability not just to shut down something that could well be the work of the Spirit. And when Paul says he had to test everything that is said, um, I very much lean in the end on what Jesus spoke about when he said, by their fruits, you will recognize them. And, and sadly, sometimes this only happens in retrospect or hindsight. But if if one um, is in a situation where, where somebody is proclaiming something and proclaiming it's from God or they've got a word from the Lord I always say, well, let's see what fruit is born out of that. If the fruit is in keeping with the fruits of the spirits of God, in other words, love and joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, you know, all those things, then more than likely it is the work of the spirit. But if it's if the, the prophecy or the word or whatever is said brings division and disunity and harm and... Um, you know, all of those things, unkindness, a lack of love, then, then definitely it's not from the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, you know, this is a hard thing. And in the church, we, we kind of have vacillated from one side to the other. But the work of the Spirit is so vital to us. We wouldn't exist as the church if it were not for the work of the Spirit. Um, we are the, the term, the body of Christ, So each member makes up the body, and if you compare this with the physical body of Christ and what makes us dynamic and alive and move is not our own physical spirit, but it's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that makes the bones and the body actually come to life and do the work of Christ in the world at the moment. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but uh, that's what Paul is saying to the church, and I would I would definitely say they would probably have got it wrong at times and then definitely got it right at times. But he's saying to them, you know, rather don't stifle the spirit, but test it. Hold on to what is good. Keep away from every kind of evil. And that's just a reaffirmation of some of the stuff that was said in chapter 3 and 4. Now we come to his final greetings. Now this whole chapter, particularly from, I think, verse 12 onwards have been filled with these little one-line statements, these very powerful words that Paul has given to the church. Um, And I think they could have chewed on these things for months and months in the future um, because he really gave them a lot of stuff to to keep them going. But now we come to um, his final greetings and a lot of this is common with how he ended off his other letters. So he says this, um, now may the God of peace make you holy or sanctify you in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God who calls you is faithful and he will do this. So so Paul is saying to the church, Look, we I'm praying, I'm praying that you know God who's a God of peace will sanctify you. He'll keep doing the work to make you holy. And then may your spirit, soul, and body, so every part of you, may may it be kept in Jesus. And while he's doing this work, just know that he is faithful. Paul says in Philippians, uh, he also says, Remember that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion. And that's a, a reminder for all of us that the Spirit of God who's working in your life and mine will keep refining us, keep chipping off the rough edges, Keep sanctifying us if we allow him to do that. He is faithful, and that is what God wants for us. Then verse 25, he asks them to pray for for them. So, dear brothers and sisters, please pray for us. Greet each other in Christian love or, as most versions say, greet each other with a sacred kiss. Now, this is the interesting thing. Uh, What does that mean? Um, we assume that it has to do with very much the um, the European greeting where you kiss somebody on the left cheek and the right cheek. Um, and it, that's just this, uh, almost like a very much a family greeting as you would greet a family member. So that's a greeting to do within the church community. We did also agree <laughs> in our Bible study group that that's probably not something that would be very popular in our modern churches uh, so hence we compromise and we say the benediction together and we hold hands as a sign of unity and, and blessing. Um, we may have many people running out the church if suddenly we started to greet each other with, with holy kisses. Um, verse 27, I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the Christians, to so to all the church. Um, so Paul is g- again giving his authority and remembering that there was no No copies of this, no email. I mean, copies may have been made of this letter in time, but because uh, writing and and any form of um, letters or books were so expensive, there were not copies given to every member of the church. It was one that was sent and then written uh, and then read out in the church. Just out of interest, think about how we've taken five weeks um, to, to to discuss these um, five chapters, to read out all five chapters um, as one long letter would have taken a fair amount of time, and then also a fair amount of discussion and digesting. Um, but that's how it would have been done in the early church. So so just picture that. And then lastly, Paul says, "And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all." Uh, which is a shorter version of the grace that we often say within our church traditions, um, which is actually also uh, in the words of Paul, where he speaks about the grace of God, uh, the you know the, the the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit being with each of us always. Friends, I'm going to stop my ramblings there, and I and I hope and pray that these words have been helpful for you. And um, as always. Please go back and reread the passage and take note of anything that you feel is important for you or that the Holy Spirit may be challenging you or encouraging you with. Um, You know, sometimes in my experience, it may not be um, a voice from God or something that's written on the wall, but just a gentle prompting in your heart and your spirit and your mind that says, this is something that I must take note of. Um, and so maybe we could even put into practice what Paul is saying where he says, don't quench the spirit just by saying, Lord, you know, what is it that uh, has been highlighted for me today in this passage and, and what would you like me to do about it? And um, I, yeah, I invite you to, to take that um, and to ask God to lead you. So friends, thank you very much for this. Um, thank you for being part of this journey over the last five weeks We are going to be heading soon um, into the season of Advent. I will carry on doing one or two Bible studies for the next uh, week or so. But I'll give you a heads up when we're going to have a little break um, heading into the the very busy Christmas season. But I pray that God would bless you. Thank you so much again. Bye-bye.